The Free for All Roundtable. Round two. Joining us for round two this morning, Toronto City Councillor Brad Bradford, Tim Hudak, who's the former leader of the Ontario Conservatives and now the CEO at uh, the Real Estate Association, and uh, former MPP and mayoral candidate Mitzi Hunter, uh, referred to earlier on in the context of that uh, debate on immigration. Good morning to you all. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Joe. Welcome, Brad. You have a city council meeting to attend uh, today, uh, the continuation of same. It started yesterday, and we'll start with a couple of city matters this morning. We'll get everybody's uh, opinions on uh, the approval of the a deal that's between the city and the province, the historic deal that resulted in some money coming to uh, to the city that's all uh, all important and much needed. I was just surprised, having been there for eight years myself, that it was a unanimous vote, because if you looked at a couple of the issues where the city had to give, and, and I'm not being critical of that, I'm saying there had to be give in order to get a deal, namely Ontario Place and the Gardner, where some people would have just preferred it be torn down, let alone turned over to the province, um, you would have thought somebody would have dissented. But it was it was a good thing. I'm commending the fact there was a unanimous vote because it says we're all for doing this. Uh, everybody put a bit of water in their wine, but it's unusual to see those kinds of unanimous votes on a big deal like that. Yeah, you know what? This was a long time coming, and you know you would have been working on this for, for months prior. These conversations don't just happen overnight. Uh, certainly, we're grateful for the Premier's support. They're stepping up a big way at Queen's Park. But I said to the mayor, you know, kudos to her as well, because it must have been tough, especially with her supporters, to walk back some key campaign promises. I know she wanted to tear down the gardener. Obviously, that's not happening. Uh, she wanted to continue the fight on Ontario Place. She sort of put the swords down on that. So, you know, it's never too late to do the right thing. This is a good deal for Toronto. And it's great to see the, the mayor and the premier working together for Torontonians. That's what people want. They sure do. Tim, uh, you and Mitzi have both operated as I did in the sort of partisan environment. It's just a different, it's not better or worse, it's just a partisan environment where sometimes, um, you know, party lines and so on you get in the way of ever achieving a unanimous vote. It happens uh, once in a while. But, you know, I think the other way sometimes where there is no party and where people can say, you know what, um, we don't have a party here. We're just going to look at the best interests no matter what uh, of, of the people or of the city uh, can be a very good thing in terms of the way it works at municipal, uh, most municipalities in this province. They have, par they have parties some, some other places in Canada. Yeah, that's all very fair, John. Um, although I do prefer the team environment. It's just, it's just a lot more fun. Hey, let me say first, John, it's great hearing you back here on, on News Talk 1010. Oh, Devin and I are really excited about that. I know a lot of listeners are and want to thank you for your uh, outstanding work and leadership as, uh, as the City of Toronto Mayor. And a lot of the stuff that's going through council today, uh, you had set the groundwork for. So I was really pleased to see Mayor Chow um, be very kind to you and her comments as well. This is uh, We had Premier Ford at our uh, Ontario Real Estate Association powerhouse conference just two weeks ago, and he commented on this saying it was a very good deal for Toronto it is because they're going to get new money for transit, new money to accelerate needed housing that's going to be affordable to hardworking uh, Canadians, uh, and also the province taking over the, the Gardner and the Don Valley. I, I think it makes a lot of sense for taxpayers and is good once in a while as we head into Christmas to see everybody getting along again. That is true. And Mitzi, uh, you know, I guess the question I wanted to ask you, and Tim sort of gave me a great segue into it, is do you think this kind of thing can be continued? Because in the end, you know, people do want to see uh, political uh, representatives getting along. And, you know, look, it doesn't have to be every vote that's unanimous, but you want to see at least a spirit that suggests people are, you know, looking out for the best interests. They're prepared to have an honest debate and then move on and, and try to do the right thing. Do you think this kind of spirit of a 24-0 vote can be continued on things that can kind of move us forward? 
Well, I was I was going to say that we should frame that vote. And, um, you know, it is it is unusual. And, and and when it comes to things like this, that makes sense for the city that we want to see cooperation because, you know, it, it needs to happen much more quickly. And I also think the mechanism that Mayor Chow and uh, Premier Ford has put in place with a table where, you know, the the officials can get together and really do the work that's needed to create this type of alignment should be extended and continued. And the federal government has taken a seat at the table. And I think that that's going to be next in terms of, you know, how are they going to contribute? They do have a pattern of supporting the city, as you know. Um, you know, they provided $6 billion to extend the Scar Scarborough subway. And, and it's a fair that the city and the province are now saying, hey, Come on in, federal government, your $2.75 billion to take care of things such as refugees and, you know, new subway cars for line two, where the people of the suburb need those new cars to add more capacity. So I think their asks are reasonable of the federal government. They've established a table that works and they should keep it going. Yeah, and I think the feds will end up there. I mean, my own experience has been that, you know, sometimes it all happens in different order as to which government is there first. But, for example, they've always been there to buy streetcars and subway cars and stuff. And the notion that this time they're going to say, no, you know, we'll leave it to the province and the city, I don't think is on. So it's just a matter of, of time and, as you say, continued discussion and cooperation. I'm going to throw one at you that is not on the list here, but I, you're all very capable of talking about it because you've all been through this kind of experience. There's a poll out this morning from Abacus Research, and, of course, the, we've had a, a whole litany of polls showing uh, the Conservatives way ahead federally in the polls. Uh, and I said, you know, because it's not, we all know this, all, all four of us, that, you know, the worst position to be in in some respects is to be, you know, 10 or 15 points ahead two years before the election. Uh, you know, it, it, and, and to be 10 or 15 points behind, behind uh, you know, two weeks before the election is a serious problem. Not that the Liberals don't have serious problems, but the poll out this morning shows Liberals, I think, up five and Conservatives down four. And there's still a big gap, but it's closed. And I think what it indicates to me is not that the poll is bogus or anything like that, but just that these things will bounce around and we are still two years away from an election and there's lots that can happen, you know, to all of the parties. But Tim, I'll start with you. I mean, are we to take anything from the fact that this one shows down uh, for the Conservatives, up for the Liberals based on recent events, or is it just part of that sort of ebb and flow that goes on with these polls? Yeah, I'll go with the ebb and flow. I mean, I've, I've been there, John, I, you know, out there in, in first place and then to end, end up coming so second. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not a great, uh, not a great uh, feeling. I mean, it does help you with fundraising, gives you a sense of momentum, but it also can lead to complacency, and you don't want to have stories where you're losing momentum. The other teams are catching up, so you don't want to be too far ahead, as you said, to reinforce that. Look, I, I like Abacus. Uh, we use the Ontario Real Estate Association. I use them in my time in politics. I think David Coletto is a uh, definitely a leading pollster in Canada, but I, I think you'd agree, uh, John, and my colleagues, Mitzi and Brad, who have done this as well, you need to see a pattern here, right? You have blips and ups and downs. You always want to have the exception to the rule. But I didn't see anything in the environment that's that's baked in that would cause me to be concerned. I would stick to my knitting and keep doing what uh, Polyb is doing, offering alternatives around affordability and holding the government's feet to the fire. Mitzi, you've been through this uh, as well, the ups and downs of polls. And is this just one more poll? And we should sort of, as Tim says, wait for the next six months and see what happens. Well, I agree with the comment um, in the piece that says you can't take the polls to the bank, and, and indeed you can't because, you know, um, leader of the official opposition, Pierre Polyavro, is way ahead now. 
starting to come down. It seems to me that this was a bit of a waste of a week uh, for him and his party. They've gone too far with the theatrics, uh, you know, sort of this round the clock um, delay and, uh, and and delaying the votes that were inevit- inevitably going to pass. And, and this is at a time when people are seriously worried about things like inflation and the cost of living, the housing crisis, um, not to mention all of the big things happening around our world in terms of global security, whether it's, you know, the war in, in Ukraine or what is happening with Israel and Hamas. So it's it's just, um, it, it felt as if uh, he had gone too far and it paid the price in, in these polls. And as, as they are just a moment in time during a week, but it wasn't a good one for him. Brad? Yeah, Tim's right. You got to look at the trend lines here. But if, uh, you know, you're the Liberal Party who's really taken a shellacking over the past quarter, uh, it is an, it is a moment for optimism. And I think with all the, frankly, as Mitzi pointed out, some of the games that were taking place up at Parliament Hill last week, um, it had an interesting effect. I think there was a unifying effect in the Liberal caucus. Uh, they were really coming together and rallying around it. And the Conservative Party spent a lot of time and and frankly, money uh, reimagining what Pierre Polyev looked like working on his image. He lost the glasses, you know, he tried to turn down the tone a little bit. And I think you saw in the trends people warmed up to that. They liked it. And this was a bit of a, a rewind, a hearkening back to sort of more of the attack dog pitbull. Pierre Polyev, and the liberals are, are definitely leaning into the connection with the sort of U.S.-style politics, and they keep saying that. You know, Von Baker was on the show yesterday. He was talking about that. You can hear it in the key messages, and I think, um, you know, not a lot of Canadians are necessarily willing to embrace that. So it's one poll. Abacus Data is a great pollster. Um, he will, you know, David Coletto will follow the trends, but we'll see what that looks like, and if the liberals have a message there that's resonating with Canadians about a more moderate form of politics, maybe they can uh, they can climb up and get back to the surface. Yeah, it's ne- look, it's always good to be ahead, but it's never necessarily good to be ahead two years ahead of the election. Uh, let's move on to the subject of alcohol. And we all know there's been this kind of strange thing that's gone on for decades, I mean, <laughs> centuries, a, a bit of a strange relationship between people and alcohol and government in, in this province and in this city, for that matter. There used to be parts of the city not that long ago that were kind of dry. So are we finally going to bring that to an end with Premier Ford announcing today a beer and wine uh, being sold in corner stores. We've had it in grocery stores for a while. We've had these agency stores outside of Toronto where people are used to walking into a convenience store and finding beer and wine there. Uh, we have a cannabis store in every corner just about. Uh, are, are, is this going to be, uh, you know, I'll start with you, Tim. Is this going to be, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of the denouement of this kind of long decades of, of uh, sort of paranoia about alcohol? Oh, I hope so. I've been, hope so. I've been praying at my local bar for a long time, John, to finally see this happen. I've got my uh, my beer lined up here, my Ontario wine, and a uh, Jack Daniels uh, hard lemonade. I got to wait till eleven, I think, yes. but to pop open in celebration. I, look, we we've got these uh, nine what ninety seven year old remnants from the days of the immediate post prohibition era still hanging around almost a century later. When you cross in any direction from Ontario, except north, of course, where you can actually buy 
buy these things in corner stores and groceries. I like it's a level playing field for all places that serve food instead of specialty licenses for those that, you know, are best connected. Number two, it will be beer, wine, uh, or um, ready-to-drink uh, spirits, beverages. That's a nice innovation as well. And the politics behind this, John, I, I remember from our polling that young young males particularly reacted well to this. But the shift that's happened most recently is more women have moved in this direction of wanting to see this liberalization. It's convenience. It saves time. And some of the products, quite frankly, like the canned beverages, are uh, popular among the female demographic as well. Good for Ford. I'm going to raise a big glass of toast this later today. All right. Uh, Mitzi, so say you as well or different? No, I will not say uh, I, I agree with all of what uh, my friend uh, Tim Hingerback has just said, because I think it's it's not just about the decision. It's about how you manage and implement the decision, because there is there is still concern that young people will somehow gain more access um, when they're prohibited from doing that. And so what what are the rules around it and how are you going to, you know, I'm sure it's not going to be kept behind the counter like you know cigarettes are so what are those rules to make sure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands and that you don't see this you know concern for young people having alcohol access yeah, when they it's should. always been one of the issues brad last word to you 15 seconds yeah i lived in boston for a couple of years all the convenience stores grocery stores i go to buffalo bills game everybody stops on the way over you get some some beers for for uh the tailgate it's totally normal the sky's not going to fall it's about convenience and moving into the 21st century let's go cheers to that yeah we're well into the 21st century that's a good note on which to end this brad bradford tim hudak missy hunter thank you all very much Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.